Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians 3. We've been, this is the last, well, not really the last. Jay uh, is going to deal with the next part of the text. Uh, but this little series has been called The New You at Home. And we dealt with wives, we dealt with husbands, and today we're going to deal with children and fathers. And next week, Jay, I don't normally do this, but if I could title your message, I would call it The New You at Work. Employers and employees, because that's really what the text that Jay's going to be dealing with from verse 22 through chapter 4 and verse 1. So we're going to say, what, is, what does it look like to be a, 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 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly at work? And that's going to be next week. So, or as a boss. Um, and, and we got several people in this church that are entrepreneurs. They own their own business. And as a result, they have staff. So we're going to, Jay is going to walk us through next week what it looks like uh, to be a good boss and to be a good employee. Uh, but today, I wanna, we're going to deal with this idea of children and fathers. And um, so if you're there in your text, we're going to back up just a little bit. And I, I forget what verse it is, Sam. Can you pull it up there for me? Verse 16. So let's back up to chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 16. Paul says, let or allow the word of Christ to dwell in you. How, church? Richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And by the way, one of the ways the word of Christ dwells in us is at home in our hearts, richly overflowing, is we need to memorize it. Amen? And we need to sing about the truth of God's word and hum those tunes in our heads, kind of like Zach played today. I'm sitting there as you're playing that singing the lyrics, High King of Heaven, and you know, you know those words. So we speak to ourselves. That's why I, I say to uh, people all the time, be careful what you're letting in your ears. And I'm not one of these people that says all secular music is bad. Um, I don't necessarily believe that some is, definitely. But I will tell you what, if you're listening to a majority of stuff that does not exalt Jesus Christ as the King, you're making a mistake. You need to have in your ears and your heart things that, that commend you to the Lordship of King Jesus uh, and, and, and cause you to want to desire to let that word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, Paul goes on to say, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're living in the name of Christ, a thankful life. And then he's going to tell us what that looks like in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Here's what it looks like to do everything in the name of Christ for wives. And that is to come under the authority of husbands and support them and be a team. Next verse, verse 18. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter or sharp towards them. And then today's text. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. This is what it looks like for children to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is that you obey your parents in everything and know that when you do that, you're pleasing God. And then he has a word to fathers. These are not two separate things. These two commands, and we're going to look at them today, are absolutely one command. They are not to be separated, but they are absolutely related. When he tells children to obey, he, he immediately says, but you fathers, you fathers don't provoke those kids. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So there's a connection between a child's obedience and the way that a father demands it. 
And we're going to look at that this morning. This is God's Word, and may it be received with joyful hearts today in our lives. I want to pray, and we're going to jump into our text this morning. Father, we come to you today thanking you for little Peter. Um, thanking you for this little baby that you've brought into Joseph and Anna's life and, and your faithfulness to them in this time. I pray that you would bless this sermon, that it would make sense, that we would do justice to your text. You would help us to back up and really consider things that matter and are vitally important in the area of our relationship to you through our children and children's relationship to you through their fathers. I pray that you would give us ears to hear the truth and a heart to follow after you where your word is at home living in us in Christ's name. Amen. Heard the story of a little child. She was naughty. And as part of her training and discipline, her parents made her sit the far end of the corner of the dinner table while the whole other family sat at the other end. And they thought it was working until they heard the little girl pray, Dear Lord, thank you for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> you just never know. Let me make some, some quick observations of our text today in Colossians chapter 3. Um, and there's just a few of them. And I just want to highlight these observations. And then we'll, um, we'll look at some maybe some practical principles of how we can apply them. So Sam, if you'll back up one verse with a uh, verse 20 children obey your parents in the lord for this is well pleasing now there's something interesting here that we miss all the time um i don't know how we miss it i think we somewhere along the line we started reading the bible out of its historical context so let me give you a little little uh, history lesson here um We know that these, these epistles were just letters. Um, we don't get letters in the mail anymore, do we? What do we get now? Emails. But how many of you are old enough to remember the day before emails and you actually got a letter from somebody in the mail, right? And what do you do with that letter? You open it up and read it. These, were, these epistles were letters that were sent to the churches. And they were, they were generally passed around several churches in the area, especially the letter to the Ephesians uh, was passed around to five separate churches. And even in, in this letter, it mentions, mentions the church in Laodicea, which was just over the river and down the, down the road a little bit apiece. Um, this letter was meant to be shared with that church as well. But here's the deal. These letters were literally sent from these apostles or or, or uh, um, leaders of churches, I call them pastors to pastors, and, and it, the normal thing was, oh, hey, welcome to the church at Colossae today. We got a letter from Paul, and I'm going to read it to you. And so he, they would read this letter, and actually, the book of Colossians, the, the letter to Colossians can be read in about 10 minutes, and they would just read it out loud to the congregation. So follow me. Paul expected that as this letter was read, there would be wives sitting in the congregation because he addresses that one part to wives. He expects also there's going to be some husbands there because what does he say in the next verse? Husbands. But then in the following verse, you know what Paul expects? Paul expects there to be young children in the congregation. 
That word for child is technon. It literally means a, a, a toddler or elementary age child. So we're talking from about eight years old down to babies. Paul expected and anticipated that they would be in the service. Um, so that's interesting, isn't it? That's not the norm in our churches today. You know, um, normally we take those kids out and do a, a church service geared towards them. And there's reasons that we did that, and I'm not going to sit here and argue about all of that. But here's the reality. Young children were expected to be in a worship service in the first century. We outgrew that and got smarter than the Bible, and we have completely lost a generation of young people. Now, I'm going to let you connect that dot, figure it out for yourself. But I'm going to tell you what, I love seeing, like little Judah here, instead of going to the nursery, this is something new. He's about that age where we're going to start keeping him in for a while. And you don't got to be rigid about this. Don't make this a disaster for that kid. But begin to train them to sit under the teaching of God's Word. Um, it's vital that we do that. My little grandson back there, Paul John, sitting under the teaching of God's Word. Myra, right, next, right in front of him. It's important for these kids to be in here and to see how God's Word affects us. And it was obviously Paul expected them to be there. Um, here's, here's another thing. Uh, it's, it's the biblical connection to children and fathers. This, don't, don't, don't miss this. And you'll notice that in his, in his admonition to our relational roles in the family, he starts with wives. Did you notice that? And he always does. Paul always, he starts with the women, wives. And then he goes to husbands and then children. And then he'll oftentimes put the fathers there. There's reasons for that. And I think it has to do with the fall. Um, the, the whole order of the family got turned upside down right at the fall. And so Paul starts with the first person, and that's wives. And then he deals with, with husbands. But notice here, he does children, and then he deals with the father. And there's a connection. There's no admonition here to mothers um, because they are, listen, they are assumed under the cooperation and the, and the relationship with the fathers. Because God's word acknowledges the headship of the husband over the home. As, as you saw this beautiful little family stand up here today, Joseph was the head of that family. That's why he prayed. Does that mean Anna shouldn't pray for her kids? No. But what we're doing is we're acknowledging God's order for the family. And that when Joseph prays, Anna's praying with them. They're one flesh. They're together in this. But it acknowledges the headship of that husband. And fellas, before you get a big head about that, let me define headship for you. Headship is simply this. It's your head. And one day it's going to be your head as you stand before a righteous God who loves your wife and kids more and better than you do. You ponder on that before you get so puffed up. And God takes that heaven and hell serious. So men, we are responsible before God for insisting on the obedience of our children. Amen? Children, you are responsible before God to obey your parents and thus show them honor. Our wives are responsible to help us complete that task. Did you know that a child in, in biblical times, both Old and New Testament, a child whose father had died was considered an orphan in the scriptures. 
Um, that's why oftentimes when you, you'll see widows and orphans together. Why? Because if she was a widow, that child, even though mom was still alive, was considered an orphan. So widows and orphans are almost never separated. Just ponder this for a minute. Because God, whether you recognize the headship of, of, of the man in the house or not, God does. And God's not changing his order for you because it doesn't seem appropriate. God is not worried about catching up with the times because God's eternal and times will catch up with him. You say amen or ouch. All right, so don't miss this connection. Don't miss it. Wives are given to husbands to help complete this massive task of raising these little pagans into followers of Jesus. So don't miss the connection. Children must listen to mom and dad. And dads, you're not to provoke. Uh, you're not to appeal to the sinful nature of your child. Literally, that word provoke means start a rivalry. How many of us dads have done that? Start a rivalry with your kids. You get to, down to their level. That is, that is a disaster. You don't start a rivalry with them. Why? Because your position of authority and physical advantage over them will cause them to be discouraged. And that word discouraged in the Greek is literally, it's a terrible word, but it is dispirited. You ever seen a dispirited person? You ever seen a child that has been so abused and neglected there's no life in their eyes anymore. I've seen that. That is a wretched thing on the face of the earth. And many a father will answer to God for that. And Paul's saying, guys, don't you do that. Uh, I've heard some very uh, foolish preachers stand up and say that you've got to break the spirit of that child. That is a sin before Almighty God. You're not called to break their spirit. You're called to mold their hearts. And that does not involve breaking their spirit. Never seek to break their spirit. I remember, um, where's Dale? Dale gave us this crazy dog named Trigger. And Trigger was not the brightest dog that ever walked the face of the earth. Uh, he was a rather foolish animal. And, uh, and Dale knows this because he helped me many a time look for that stupid dog because he would run away. If he could get out, he was gone. And it would make me so mad because you could, you could just get, remember this, Zach? You could get just so close to him and think you could grab him. What would he do? He had an ability to turn and run. And you could never catch him. Make him mad, doesn't it? <laughs> that dog make me sad. And I was visiting one of our homebound brothers. His name was Isaac. He was the brother to uh, Miss Leontine. Some of you remember Miss Leontine Upton. And her brother Isaac lost his legs in the war, was a homebound vet. And, I, and, and he was a dog guy. He's a phenomenal, in his day, dog trainer. So as I was on my visit with Isaac, I said, Isaac, I don't know what I'm going to do with this dog. I cannot get him to obey. If he gets a chance to run away, he'll run away. And, no, and I've tried to discipline him and to train him, and nothing works. And Isaac, this old country fellow, but he kind of had a, had a little grin on his face. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Preacher, you don't have that dog's heart. He said, the answer is not discipline. It's love. He said, train him to love you so much that he loves you more than he does his freedom. That never did work for that dog. 
But I'm going to tell you what, daddies, not a word for your kids. Love them. Love them so much that they love you more than they love their own way and their own will. I think that's what God's calling us to. So uh, let me do this today in a, in a little bit of time we got left. Let me give you some principles based on Paul's picture of the new you at home, whether you're a child um, or whether you are a mom or a dad. As Christ's word is at home in your heart and the new you is wearing these characteristics of Christ that we see in chapter 3, and you are gospel-centered and gospel-saturated, here is a word to fathers and children alike on what that might look like. And this will be in your outline this morning. I encourage you to grab a hold of these notes and we're going to jump right into it. The new you at home. I just call this the ABCs of parenting. Um, let's just jump right into A. Here's A, folks. Speaking specifically to dads and dads and mamas, you help those dads because Lord knows we need a lot of help. That's why God gave you to us because we need your help. Um, here's A, always win. Always. You got to win. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what? He will not depart from it. Most misappropriated verse in the entire Bible. That is not a promise. That is a proverb. Those are two different things. It's an adage. It's something that's generally true. Okay? But we rewrite that today. Here's, how, here's the modern version of that verse in the world that we live in today. Children, train up your parents in the way you want them to go so that when you are old, both you and your parents can be miserable. It's the truth. There's a great book out there called Kid CEO, How Children Are Running the Home. It's a disintegration of God's order in the family, and it is also the disintegration of society. Do you realize that the first time that disobedience occurs in the Bible with God's children, it's associated with death? When your kids disobey you, it's not funny. And you need to always win that battle. And a, a, a wise man taught us a parenting proverb years ago, and it should come up here on the screen, here, about obedience is simply this. Here's, this is the definition of obedience. Obedience is not just doing what you're told. It has three parts to it. In other words, do what I say right away and with a smile. And if those three things, now you don't have to literally smile. I remember my job growing up was cleaning up after the dog. I never smiled doing that job. But I did it with, sometimes with a submissive, joyful heart, knowing that I was obeying God by obeying my dad. Right? So, Sam, that whole thing should be up there. If you'll follow me there, thank you. Do what I say right away, Sam, <laughs> and do it with a smile, a joyful or a happy heart. Can you sit up where I can see a little bit more? I can only see the top of your head. Raise your chair up. That way we can communicate a little better. And if not, we can change it. Um, joyful heart. I'll find someone else with a joyful heart. <laughs> All right? Do what you're told immediately. By the way, there's a point there. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Oh, man. Don't let your kids get away with that, daddies. And it's not because you're so good. It's because God's so good, and they need to learn to obey you and trust you. could be their life one day. And do it with a joyful heart. All three of those things have to be in play. Every time a child wins over a parent, 
the foolishness gets bound tighter and tighter in their heart. And you say, well, you know what? I really better start boning, you know, doing a better job on my parenting when that kid becomes a toddler. Oh, no. If you wait that long, you've already lost. It starts when they're babies. It starts when they're babies. And we've got to win those battles. Um, it starts, and we, and we, it starts early. But here's the reality. Fight your battles with your babies, not your teenagers. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to lay some real-world wisdom on you. If you'll fight your battles when they're babies, you won't have to fight your battles when they're teenagers. Babies will hurt your heart to win those battles. Teenagers will break your heart and your bank account. That's where it, I can't tell you how many people I have counseled in my office with tears, and the reason they're in a financial and emotional distress is because they never won the battles with their babies and their toddlers. Children need a healthy, regular dose of vitamin no. They need to learn to accept no as an answer. And I want to say this too. Fathers should be the primary disciplinarians in the home. That's scriptural. Dads, it's your responsibility, not your wife's. It's your wife's responsibility when you're not there. If you're home, it's on you. I had to learn that the hard way. But I made a commitment to my wife when I did learn it. If I'm home, it's me. I got a text last night. Do you hear him? He's still crying. I've spanked him three times. He needs another one. Why? Because I got home. Now, actually, I didn't get that text till later, and he was asleep. <laughs> or he would have got another one. Because <laughs> we do we have that agreement? Do we not, Beth? If I'm home, it's on me. Why? Because those children are my responsibility, and God's given her, Elizabeth to me because I can't do it alone well. Does that make sense this morning? Guys, we need to own it. That's why, that's why mamas are always fond of saying, wait till you're what? Wait till your father gets home. Because intuitively, we know that it's dad's responsibility. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Dads and moms, when dad's not home, two questions. Number one, did I win the battle? Did I win the battle, the discipline issue? You better win. Now, here's what I've learned, Mike, over the years. Not every hill is a hill to die on. I died on a lot of hills I did not need to die on. And as you get older and wiser, you figure that out. Normally, when you're a grand grandparent, you know, that's the grandparent's prayer. Lord, give me the wisdom to know how to raise my grand, or the, or the knowledge to know how to raise my grandchildren and the wisdom to keep my mouth shut. Right? We finally learn how to do it when the kids are gone. Now, people like me, God has given us children in our old age, so I got a chance to do it all over again. I guarantee you they're parented very differently than the first four. Did I win the battle? After every discipline time with your child, you should ask yourself that question. By the way, I know a lot of dads who don't discipline, and you are doing a grave disservice to your children. If you let your children do whatever they want and never hold them to the standard of God's word, you don't love your kids. You hate them, and that's not me saying that. The word of God says that. Some of you dads need to bone up and get a backbone and tell those kids no and discipline them according to God's word. And every time that happens, when that kid is doing wrong, you need to ask yourself, did I win that battle? And you better. 
If you're gonna make it an issue, and if they're wrong, you better stay at it until you win. You don't give up. Now, I'm not talking about being mean and ugly. That's gonna be my next point here in a minute. Not at all. There's a better way to do it. But you better win. You better win. Did I win the battle? That's that outside in. That's what we do when they're little. It's all outside in, right? It's all us on the outside training them on the inside. You do wrong, you reap the consequence. And that needs to happen quickly. The younger they are, the quicker that needs to happen. They get a little bit older, there can be some time in there. But not when they're little. You got to discipline quickly and effectively. Did I win that battle? Discipline issue, outside in. Here's the next one. And this one's more important. Am I winning the war? What does that mean? Did I gain more of my child's heart through this discipline? And that's inside out. That's what Isaac was trying to tell me about that dog. The reason that dog runs away from you is because you don't have his heart. When he knows that you love him, he'll never run away from you again. We gotta have their hearts. That's the war. And when you win the war, the battles take care of themselves. So I'm gonna say something to dads, you better win the battles when they disobey. But more importantly, and it's not an either or, you better win the war, you better have their hearts and go after their hearts. And God designed us to do just that. So that's the next one is be gentle. Be gentle. In the midst of always winning, when it's a discipline issue and you better win and be firm and have a backbone, but also be gentle. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Romans 2.4 says of God, it's your kindness that leads to repentance. Amen? Some fathers need to memorize that verse. We need to have our children's hearts. We've got to win our children's hearts at all costs. And that's the war. And if we win the war, the battles nearly disappear. If you win the war, the battles go away. But if you don't ever win the war for their heart, you're going to fight that. You're going to be, you're going to be enemies. And what makes enemies allies is that they have the same heart. That's why Solomon says over and over in the Proverbs, my son, give me your heart. You may apply it to wisdom. And I want to ask you men out there, because Paul is talking right to the dads. Are, do you have your children's hearts? Are you going after your children's hearts? That's the goal. Because when you have your heart, you, the more you have their heart, the less you're going to have to fight the battles. The more you win the war, the smaller the battles become. Does that make sense? We need to understand that. Tertullian, the church father, said this, it is better to keep children to their duty by a sense of honor and by kindness than by fear and punishment. Honor and kindness than fear and punishment. Here's the next B goes back to the first one really be firm be firm that's what that's to always win in a sense with a little bit of a twist he says in there fathers uh, don't provoke your kids because they're gonna lose heart if you do uh, don't get down on the same level as them don't provoke them um, but instead we, we need to uh, 
encourage them. And you got to be firm. And here's the thing. I'm going to share this with you. There's two ways to discourage your kids. There's two surefire ways to get your child to lose heart. And the first one is bring shock and awe for every offense. Treat every disobedience, every offense, every sin that they commit as a child as if it's a first degree sin. And you bring the same punishment all the time, the same discipline, shock and all. You give them the full force every time they mess up. You do that and that kid will lose heart. You know what? You're not being a parent. You're being a bully. And I've seen a lot of it. I see this shift. My father-in-law is here today. I, I see this, this dichotomy in, in families today, especially with men. They're either a bully or a coward when it comes to their kids. Where we need to be is we need to be somewhere in between. I don't mean we need to fear our kids. I mean we need to have a heart for our kids. You bring shock and awe. Every time they mess up, just hammer them. And what are you going to do? You're going to cause them to lose heart. And that's not the goal. So in the midst of children obeying, we, we fathers need to not suck the life out of them by overdoing it. But here's the other thing. This is where there's a tender balance. You want to you suck the life out of your kid and dishearten them? Is this, giving a half-hearted discipline. In other words, not disciplining enough will do more to raise up a root of bitterness in the heart of that child than overdoing it. And I'm not saying you should overdo it, but I'm saying definitely don't underdo it either. The worst thing you can do to embitter the heart of that child is to do a halfway job when it comes to their discipline. Solomon, the wise, said that if you don't bring firm discipline to bear on your child. You don't love them. You hate them. I had a recent episode in my house where one of my children, when I say children, that word technon in the Greek, I'm one of my youngest children, got himself where he needed some discipline. And I, I did my job, walked out down the hall. My wife said, do you hear the way he's crying? I said, yep. She said, you're not done. I said, you're right. I went back, I went back in there five I'm going to tell you what, that, Winston, that wasn't so hard when I was 30. That didn't even hurt my feelings when I was 30. It kills me now. I hate it. But I love him more. And I know what he needs. Five times. I went in to wear him out. He wore me out. But I'll tell you what, I wasn't going to stop until his heart was right. And you know it. You know it in those kids. Because the cry changes from one of defiance to one of submission. Don't stop until the job is done. I'm not saying abuse your kids. That is as great, if not greater, as sin. But I'll tell you what, I see the sin I see today in this generation and among so many parents, even in this church today, is that we don't discipline at all. We let the kids do whatever they want. They're not taught to sit and listen. They're on their phones playing, doing all kinds of things. And what are we saying? God doesn't matter. you just be indoctrinated by the world. You don't need to sit up and listen and pay attention in church. You just lay around and do whatever you want. No discipline whatsoever. And you will ruin your child. You will embitter their hearts towards you and towards God. Let me give you another B. Be gospel-saturated in your parenting. 
Be gospel-saturated in your parenting. What's that mean? <laughs> There's two ways to parent. You can parent according to law or gospel. You know where we tend to go? Law. Law parenting is easy. That's why we go there. There's right and wrong. You do wrong, you pay the penalty. You do right, I'll leave you alone. That's law parenting. We need to parent according to the gospel. Here's the big difference. I'm going to make this quick. Here's the big difference. When we parent according to the gospel, we look at our children through the lens of reality. What do I mean? If your goal for your kids is for them to obey and be good, you're missing the point. Because here's a reality. This is what, the, this is what Colossians 3 is about. You can't obey and be good without the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Word of Christ has to dwell in you richly before you can obey and be good. Do y'all believe that? If we believe it, we should be living that at home. And we don't. We don't. For, I, let me give you a real world example, then I'll move on. Here's a real world example. Billy is on top of Johnny pounding the stuffing out of him. I know that's never happened in your house. Right? And you go running over there and you pull him off of him and you say, he's your brother. You have to love him. And what, and what does little Billy say? Love him. I hate him. He's a jerk. I can't love him. Now, put a pin in that. Here's what we do. We tend to do with law parenting. Is it a crime against God for Billy not to love Johnny? Yeah. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to forgive each other as Christ forgave the church, right? God commands us to love one another. It's one of the first commands. He's breaking God's law. That is all true, and he needs to know that. But law parenting says you have to love him. You're breaking God's law. So you need to, here it is, do better and be better. Parents, look at me. Those kids come into this world as lost sinners in need of salvation. Don't treat them like they're, they're, they're already right with God. They're not. They're acting like the little pagans they are. Recognize it. And instead of saying, you have to obey and you need to figure out how to do it. No, here's the gospel parenting approach. And I've done this. You, just, you kind of smile and say, yeah, I, I bet you hate them. I got no doubt that you do, because here's the reality, little Billy. You don't have the ability to love him. Now, God did command you to love him, but I, as your father, understand that you can't. You can't pull that off, and that's the bad news. But here's the good news, the great news. God sent his son to die in your place in order to give you a new heart. And when you get that new heart, Billy, you're going to love Johnny, and it's going to be so much easier, because Jesus himself is going to love your brother through him. In the meantime, I'm not going to let this this sin that you committed against your brother pay off and you're going to be disciplined for that. However, one day God's going to give you a new heart and you need to ask God to do that and, and cert, run after the Lord and ask Him for that new heart to change you from the inside out. And that's the great news that in spite of your sin, God can come along and take that heart of stone out of you and give you a brand new heart. That knows how to love and wants. God changes your want to. And I know it hasn't happened. I say it to little Jack all the time. I know you don't like going to church. But oh man, when God changes your heart, you're going to love it. Amen? Parent them with the gospel in mind, with grace in mind. 
bringing the law to bear, but always driving them to the one who kept the law in their place. Because one day, by God's grace, God will rescue their souls. And then we parent them very differently. So we parent according to the gospel. And here's the last one, C, is consistently be consistent, and that's so hard. Would you not agree? That's so hard to be consistent. I struggle with that. Ephesians 6, 4 says to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That bring them up is in the present active imperative. It's continuous, consistent action. There are no days off of parenting. And all the fathers and mothers said, right? You don't take time. This is a consistent thing. Parents should be predictable and consistent. Let me leave you this quote with Robert from Robert Wagner. He said this, disciplining is hard work. Requiring diligence, persistence, consistency, and sacrifice. Sometimes when parents realize the failure of their past, they resolve to operate their homes in a biblical manner. And then they're shocked when several sound discipline sessions do not result in immediate transformation of their child's character. <laughs> I've seen this happen. I've done this. They expected the walls of Jericho to fall after circling the city once or twice. True or false? Model children are not available as instant results of stirring in magic ingredients. No. Model children are available when parents consistently obey God's directives and discipline and therefore open the channel for God's uh, grace to be poured upon their family. What's the point? Children, when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly and is at home in your heart, you're going to finally have the want to, to obey. I've seen that in every one of my kids. And it's a glorious day when that happens. Fathers, you have to insist on obedience. And this is a bad paraphrase, but you don't have to be a jerk to do it. But you better not be a wimp either. You've got to find that tender balance of Jesus himself, who made a whip and literally beat people up and kicked them out of God's house but also the guy who stopped and raised a widow woman's only source of income, her only son from the dead. The same Jesus who stopped his awesome sermon on the kingdom to bounce babies on his knee. My mom used to say, you gotta be a man of steel and velvet. You gotta be like Jesus. You gotta insist, always win, but be gentle. Be firm, be gospel-saturated, and consistently be consistent. And I know one of the reasons it's hard to be consistent is because each of these three points are pulling against each other. Aren't they? Here's what's happening. You always want to win, so you pull that way, and what do you lose? You lose your gentleness. You become a jerk. Then you want to be gentle, so you lose your firmness, and you let your kids run all over you. And the difficulty of balancing these two causes you to fail to be consistent. And we're not consistent neither. And, 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 and the sad thing is our kids don't know which dad they're dealing with. Here's the, here's the answer. Listen to me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we must pull tightly on all three strings. And that really, that is a reality that the Spirit of God can help you with. Always winning, always being gentle, going after their heart above all else and always being consistent. Firmness, gentleness, and consistency. I'll give you one example, and I'm going to pray. I love my kids. I really do. 
I love them better on some days than others. It's true. But um, last, Sam, when did we go to Montana? Was it last summer? Wow, it seemed like years ago. Sam's different than all of my kids. He's just a different, he's a strange bird. He's just his own, he's been his own man since he came out. And I always felt like I was, I was missing Sam somewhere as far as his heart went. And, and Sam chases hard after, some, after what, he, what he wants. And I never felt that that was me. I never, I, we just kept doing this. And I got an opportunity, a strange opportunity, um, to take him to Montana for a week. And I knew he'd go because it's cool. We, it was an adventure thing, and, and it was an adventure. None of it was safe. None of it was safe. I could not believe people would do this. It's so unsafe. And the guy told us, everything we're going to do can bring about the immediate death of your son, and it's not my job to keep him alive. It's yours. I thought, oh, he's overselling it. Nope. He was absolutely right, and those people are nuts out there. But the very first day, he starts us off easy. We're just going to do this three, four-mile hike alongside a river up a side of a mountain and turn around and come back and eat. It's going to break us in. So we go up there. I'm not going to tell the whole story. You got, most of you have heard it. But long story short, we got to the top, or where our turnaround point was. We were resting, and um, it was in a river, a lot of ice melt because they had a ton of snow that summer on the higher elevations. And this thing was a boiling uh, cauldron of rapids. Long story short, Sam fell in. And uh, I went to help him, and I fell in. And uh, we both went down this rapid, and water was cold. The water was just above, free. I think it was 38 or 9 degree water. Um, anyway, we all, literally, I'm not making it, we literally, on a number of times in that five, seven minutes that we were in that, it was touch and go whether we were coming out of there. By God's grace, we got out of there. I'm going to tell you something. That's a, hey, Sam's a driven young man, always has been. I could not catch his heart. But when we almost lost each other, God used that to do something in him I hadn't been able to do yet. And then with the other crazy stuff they had us doing that week, and the really uncomfortable face-to-face -face discussions they made us have. I left Montana with his heart. I did. I had his heart. And I still have it. And we'll be driving down the road or on the golf course, and I'll say to Sam, how's your heart? And he just gives it to me straight, the unvarnished truth. Here's where I'm doing. Here's where I am. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's my struggles. Here's what I'm doing good at. Love that. I got his heart. Dads, here's the message here. Don't embitter your children by being a wuss. Don't embitter them by being a Hitler. Be Jesus. And go after their heart. Jesus went to the cross to get your heart. You'd be willing to do the same. Those kids will follow you to hell and back. And until you're willing to do that, They'll have no desire to. You be Jesus until they find him on their own. Father, we come to you hopeful hearts. And I know a lot of what's said today probably hurt some of us too. We see our shortcomings. We see our failings. Lord, help us to be godly men who are not 
bullies or cowards, but are like Jesus in relation to our wives and children. Lord, give us children who repent and put their faith in your Son. That we might raise them in joy and not in sorrow. Take the word of truth today and burn it upon our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Anna and Joseph if they're in here. I see Ellie with the baby, I think. Can't see that far too well. I think that's Ellie. To join me on the porch here in just a minute. Would you stand? We're going to sing the doxology. And if you'll excuse me, I'm going to, when I get to that back porch, I'm going to leave because I've got to take my kids to the airport for them to get home. So let's sing together, shall we? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.